The following message is from Grace on the Ashley Baptist Church, located in Charleston, South Carolina. For more information about Grace on the Ashley, visit graceontheashley.org. He turns his attention towards living creation. This shift in his attention, it begins, when God shifts his attention to living creation, it begins an ascent towards the pinnacle of all creation, the pinnacle of his endowments, the pinnacle of his uniqueness, the pinnacle of what he endows to mankind. It is the creation of mankind. That's the pinnacle of his creation. So if you have a Bible, if you would open with me to the first chapter of the Bible, the book of Genesis will be in uh, the, the first book of the Bible will be in the first chapter of the book of Genesis. Genesis is the opening narrative of scriptures. Genesis chapter 1 the first chapter of your Bible, the opening testimony to the Creator God. Genesis chapter 1. Here with me the acceleration of creation towards mankind. Hear this language. Verse 11, chapter 1 and verse 11. And God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and the fruit trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind. Verse 12. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its own kind, according to its kind. You hear the repetition here. Verse 21, And so God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves which, with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. Hear the repetition here in verse 24. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. In verse 25. And God made the beast of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its, its kind. You can hear as the narrative shifts, it accelerates. It accelerates towards the plateau, when the plateau of creation where God decides to create mankind. He decides to create mankind, and then he executes that decision. Hear the word of the Lord in verse 26. Here's the pinnacle of God's created order. Then God said, Let us make man in our image and our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps the earth, creeps on the earth. That's the decision. Hear the execution by the Creator God. Verse 27, So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. You can hear the image of God in this. There's two pieces. We began a series. I began a series for you last week on the image of God, and I told you there's two foundational pieces to this image in every human being. What we discussed last week was the structure or the substance. I told you that part of the image of God created in mankind, part of that, one piece of that is structure or substance, your capabilities or your giftings. And we talked about that, how you're a beautiful depiction, you're a beautiful image. Everyone in this room was created in the image of God and you're beautiful because of that. 
today, what I hope to unfold for you is the second piece of that, the functional or task-related piece of the image of God. We have to hold these two pieces together because they make the best sense of the biblical data, and I think they make the best sense of this really profound theological truth, the image of God. The image of God leads us, we talked about this last week, the image of God leads us to what I think is a particular question. It leads us to a particular question that we began to wrestle with last week. That question is, how do we flourish How do Christians flourish in the midst of a fallen society? How do Christians live as an attractive people in the midst of a broken society? The answer to that is that we live out the image of God in part. That's part of the answer, the image of God. So last week, I I, I tried to exhort you to confront the challenges to our harmony with God. Sin enters the world, it creates a disunity with God, it creates dysfunction with God. There's a loss of harmony with God because of sin. We talked about two challenges to that harmony. There's a longing of the soul. Everyone that is created on earth, there's this longing in their soul that create, that's created from sin. You long for something. You desire something beyond yourself. It's because you were created for God. You're created for His purposes. The second piece to that was identity. There's a continual fight in this world for your identity. The world longs to brand you apart from God. It longs to pull you apart from God and develop your identity for you. So this continual fight with self-image and this longing in your soul, this pull away from God, they pose challenges to the structure or substance of the image of God. With everything in my body last week, I tried to developing you a sense of urgency about these challenges. They're real, and they long to drown you, this, this longing in your soul and this identity. So this week, we're gonna, I'm going to deal with, in part, with the second piece of the image of God, which is function or task. So there's structure, there's substance, and then there's task. There's a task-related piece of the image of God. So as you confront the challenges, this is a key statement that I want you to get, and I'm going to try to say it slow here. And I'm going to say it to you five different ways. Are you ready? The key statement here. As you confront the challenges, desire for things other than God, and identity issues, as you confront those challenges, you will deepen your harmony with God, and it will empower you to the task or functional piece of the image of God. Okay? Let me say this a different way. It's from your harmony with God, your life with God, that your effectiveness as a Christian flows. Say it in a different way. As you fight by grace in Christ through the power of the Spirit to restore the structure or substance of the image of God, sin breaks that in part, so you wrestle with that. As you, as you struggle through with grace through the power of the Spirit to restore that, the image of God in your life will become more effective. You will become more effective. Here's another way. Your life will glisten, it will sparkle, and you will become more and more attractive for God's glory as you strive through Christ by the Spirit to restore the image of God in your life due to sin. Here's another way. Number four, the gifting or the capabilities, the structure or the substance in the image of God is the means to and more important piece of the image of God, the function, the task. Here it is again. I'm giving it to you every way I know. The gifts are the means of fulfilling the task. 
You, you catch me here? As you face the challenges in your life, identity issues, the struggling, your desires, as you face those, it will serve the task of the image of God. The structure is secondary to the task, which is primary. So let's do that. How do we flourish in the midst of a fallen society? How do we live as attractive people? We live out the image of God. So here, here the second piece of the image of God. I'm going to read it to you again. Verse 28. And then we're going to look at four, four key parts of this. Verse 28. This is the dominion mandate. This is what we call the mandate by God in, in his creation. And God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over every living thing over every living thing on the earth. And so the, the mandate language here, we talked about this last week, is placed subsequent to this image or likeness language in that verse. The author of, he, of Genesis, God himself who authors the Bible, he places these in very close proximity for a reason. Not only is the image of God, it calls you, and not only is it substance or structure, but it calls you into something. There's an action-based piece of the image of God. I told you this last week. We are to understand the functional or task piece of the image of God as what we are to be doing. We are God's statues. We are his stewards. We're his, in part, his copies in this world. And so not only did God endow you with gifts or capability or substance or thinking or reasoning, his mercy, but he calls you into the world to live for something beyond yourself. He calls you into this world to live for something beyond yourself, i.e. himself, God. He calls you to that. So there's key phrases in this verse, and I'm just going to walk right through this verse and show you the, the riches of truth in it. Verse 28, this is the dominion mandate. This is the task or functional piece of the mandate. This is important. And God blessed them. So do you understand that the image of God, the task-related piece that God gives us here, do you understand that it is a blessing from God? You understand that? The verse opens for a blessing from God. It's His gift on your life. It's His gift to you. He's not domineering over you. This is His grace being poured out on you. He gives you a purpose. He gives you something to do. It's a blessing. That's, it's His gift. It's His kindness upon you. That's what makes it beautiful. That, he endows His image to you, but He gives you a task. He calls us to something greater. I mean, it fires me up. The second piece to it, the second key phrase in this is to be fruitful and multiply. I'm going to leave that right here. I just want to say about this, some of you are exemplary at being fruitful and multiplying. And I just want to say bravo to you and keep it moving. If you got any questions about that, Talk to your parents. Anyway, so be fruitful and multiply. So the, the third piece to this is subdue the earth. If you look at the language in here, you can see it on the screen. It says subdue the earth. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. What does that mean? So what, Sort of what the sense of this word subdue in this passage is getting is getting at this idea of uncovering the riches of the world. Okay, let me put it to you a different way. It's a word that's utilized in Genesis to, to sort of mean that we are supposed to develop a God-glorifying culture. It's, theologians commonly call this the cultural mandate. So we're supposed to explore all areas of human life for purposes of advancing the glory of God. That's, that's a general statement. There's more to that. There's stuff that clearly does not glorify God in the culture. But in general, that's what Christians are called to do, to impact the world around you. Okay, that's the sense of this word in the verse. The third piece of this is to have dominion. 
You see this in the language of the scripture. It says that you subdue it, so God blesses it. He says, be fruitful and multiply, then subdue the earth, and then have dominion over the earth. We get clarification on this word dominion in Genesis chapter 2. What's really good about the Old Testament, the old, a lot of the Old Testament is narrative, so it, it clarifies as it moves through. So when you go to Genesis chapter 2 in the Bible, we get clarification on what the dominion is. When God says have dominion, he gives Adam and Eve a little more idea of what that means. So here, Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. This is where we're going to get a little bit of clarity on this. God has placed them in the garden. You know the story probably if you've been around church long. And then here, verse 15, it says, The Lord God took man and put him in the garden of Eden. Here's the key phrase. Hear this. To work it and to keep it. You hear this? So God makes man. He makes him in his image. He gives him a dominion. He gives him a task. He gives him a blessing. Then he puts him in the garden and tells him to work it, to work it. And then the second phrase here is to keep it. What does that mean, to work and to keep? That's really what he's talking about there is to work and to care or to work and to care for the world around us. So you're just going to have to trust me here. When you pull this through the New Testament, a lot of times what you do with Old Testament writings, you'll pull it through the grid of the New Testament to say, how does this work in the New Testament after Jesus has come? This is what I'm going to run with today. We, we can understand these two things for our purposes today. There's a lot here, but this is all I, all I have time to deal with today, is work and love for neighbor. So the task or the functional piece of the Imago Dei, of the image of God, is understood for us and our purposes to work, work, and love for neighbor. Those are two key things. So I'm going to come back to that. So this mandate or this functional piece of the image of God this is something that I want to really clarify here, so I need you to really pay attention to me because this, this, is what, this is the peak of everything I'm trying to get at the last two weeks. Everything I've told you, this is, this is what I've been building up to is these statements here, so listen to this. The mandate that God gives us in the image of God is for everyone, for everyone that was created, okay? Everyone that's ever walked on this earth has this mandate from God. The Great Commission... You know the Great Commission to make disciples. You know the Great Commission if you've been in church a while. The Great Commission is for Christians specifically. Okay? So catch this. This is what I'm trying to say. This is the landing of everything. I'm going to say this. I'm going to, I might say this ten, ten times up here. The image of God should be utilized by Christians in order to live out the Great Commission. The image of God is, is built is gives Christians an opportunity to live out the Great Commission. As you make disciples, as you spread the gospel light, we understand and we leverage our unique place amongst the created order, amongst other humans that are subduing, maybe in ways that we don't want them to subdue, amongst other humans that are being fruitful and multiplying and having dominion. So you've got to trust me here. There's some things I'll tell you you've got to have to trust me. We get the grounding of this from Jesus. You remember Hebrews. He's the, he's the radiance of the glory of God. He's the exact imprint of his. Jesus gives us the basis for this, but just hear this statement again. The spaces that this mandate are executed, your home, your work, your hobbies, in a coffee shop, whatever you're doing to work and live out the mandate, those spaces are the same spaces that non-believers occupy. You tracking with me here? They occupy, and those are the spaces in which the Great Commission or your Christian witness, it blooms. 
Listen, if you don't learn anything else from me ever in your life, learn this from me. This is a deep passion of mine. The places where this mandate, the task-related piece of the image of God, those places where those things are executed are the places of the greatest opportunity to flourish and shine and be attractive for God's glory. I'm going to say it again. The, the places where this mandate is executed are the places that have the greatest opportunity to flourish and live attractively for God's purposes. Look at me. Not in this building. Out there. Got me? Everybody on the same page? You ready? So I'm going to give you some really... I might not go this practical on you every Sunday, but I'm going to give you some really, really practical applications of this. And I'm going to be honest with you. If you ever have a man that stands up here that doesn't wrestle with this stuff all week, run him off. Okay? I've wrestled with this stuff. It's wore me out because I don't have it all together either. Okay? So listen to this. Some serious application. There's two major elements to the task piece of the image of God. Work and love for neighbor. Right? So what we said, work and love for neighbor. So if you say to me, Britt, what's the best way to live out the image of God in this world? I'd say to you, get to work and go love somebody. Simple enough, right? Get to work and go love somebody. So what God orients work and he ordains work. So why, how do we utilize the space of work for his glory? How do we do all of that? And in order to live out his image, how do we do all that? So this, is, this has been critical to me. Why does work matter? Okay. That's a question for us. Why does work matter? Work matters, and I'm going to explain what I mean by work in a minute. But work matters because it gives us purpose. You, you remember the language, the image of God? It's a blessing. It gives us purpose in this life, and it also gives us leverage. It gives us purpose, and it gives us leverage. So God ordains work for purposes. It's not for our end, but it's for its glory. So when I'm talking about work, check in with me here. When I'm talking about work, I'm talking about whatever God has put you on this earth to do. I'm not necessarily talking about what you do to feed your family, although a lot of you do that. I mean, it could be anything. You could be working at home. You could be raising children. You could be retired, absolutely getting after it at a charity or at this church. Just whatever you're doing, your work. So you're tracking with me there. So, and I just want to, just in a word of courage, this is as, as an aside. If you, if you are beyond the professional years and you're out of the nine to five and you're out of the grind, hear me. I want you to hear me on this. And I, I'm saying this with loving kindness. I genuinely believe this. God didn't make you, and there's nothing wrong with this, but God didn't make you to go to South Florida to get really good at badminton and to be a scratch golfer. Even though those things are good, hear me, he wants you to, to get after it. To get after it. And that's what the body of Christ is for. There's work here for you to do. If you don't have anything to do here, come see me. It's about happening in short order, very short order. I'll put you to work. So anyway, I just want to say that as an encouragement. So get after something. Be fruitful and multiply. Have dominion. Subdue the earth. And so we do all of those things. And it, it, all of that is a form of work. Every bit of that is a form of work. And so the second piece to this is it gives us purpose. That's a purpose in our life. The second piece to this is leverage. Okay, so why does work matter? It gives us purpose and then it gives us leverage. So we utilize the place in which we work to bring God's image to bear on people. You understand that? Whatever God's called you to do, you're bringing his image to bear in the middle of that. It doesn't make a difference if you're a neurosurgeon at Johns Hopkins or you do like I did in high school and you rake bunkers at a golf course for a living. It's, it's a place that God has put you, so get after it. So just real, again, real practical things here. 
I hope this can help you because I've thought about this stuff a lot. This is just some questions for reflection. You don't have to write these down, but just I want, I'm trying to help you this morning. I may not go this practical every week, but listen, how do you handle yourself at work? Let's be honest. Whatever God's given you to do, how do you handle yourself at work? Are you domineering? If you manage people, are you a micromanager? Can folks, honestly, let's get honest, can folks stand to even be around you? I will be, I'm going to be real. I've been in the workforce a long time. Not as long as some of you, but longer than my age may look. And I've worked around some Christians, and I'll be honest with you, they're miserable. I'm going to leave that right there. <laughs> so you, are you good at what you do? That's another question. Are you good at what you do? Honestly. I mean, listen, if God has called you to rake bunkers at a golf course, do it for His glory. Are you good at what you do? Are you good at what you do? Are you pursuing excellence in a way that reflects the image of God? He's the creator of the universe. And He's endowed His image to you. And He's called you to adapt task, so do it for His glory. Are you, are, you, are you good at what you do? Even if you hate it, even if you don't like it, Sometimes the only people in your world that will see the Creator God is in your work ethic. Are you good at what you do? And are you trying to get better at it? Are you, are you creating space in your... If you manage people, listen to me. If you manage people, are you creating space in your workforce for those people to get better? Let me ask an even more difficult question. Are you okay with a subordinate being better than you? Okay with that? It's the image of God. You hold on to the image of God. So are you caring, caring for coworkers in discreet ways? Just questions to reflect. Man, I wrestle with these all week long. I wrestle with stuff all week long. Are you caring for your coworkers? Are you creating unseen ways to support them? You got a coworker that's overwhelmed, taking care of, a, of an older uh, mother or daughter or some, somebody sick in their family. Don't, go get, don't, don't bring it up in your performance review, but are you taking care of them? Are you trying to help them? These are just ways. These are things that I'm just trying to give you other... There's a million things to talk about here. Got a coworker that's overloaded or overwhelmed? Help them out. So are you treating people with dignity and grace because you are made in the image of God, but because also they are made in the image of God? That's what I'm getting at. It gives you leverage. Your place gives leverage. There's this story, and it came to me secondhand, so I'm paraphrasing it here. There's a pastor, a former pastor in New York City, Tim Keller, some of you know who he was. He was a pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian. He's recently retired. He said he got done preaching one day, and he went to the back of the room, and this lady stopped him. And again, I'm paraphrasing the story. She stopped him on the way out, and she said, I just want to let you know why I'm here today. I've never been to this church before. This is, this is, this, it grips me. So she said, I've never been to this church before, but I made a mistake this week at work, a big one. I blew it. And my boss goes to this church. He called me in his office in the middle of the week, and he said, Listen, you made a mistake on your job this week, and quite frankly, your job cannot absorb this mistake. It can't absorb it. But I want you to hear something from me. My job can. So I'm taking the hit for it so you can stay in your position. Look at me. That's the gospel. Jesus paid a debt that I could never, I could never pay. So we live in the gospel out in the workplace. That's just an example. These are questions. These are just 
practical questions on that. The second piece of this is love of neighbor. Are you loving people well? Um, Really, there's all sorts of things we can talk about here, but are you loving people well? That's the general question. And in 2009, I'm just going to make a statement here. In 2009, we're, we're 10 years from that now. 2019, I think one of the most uh, needed things in this culture is for you to encourage people. I genuinely believe that. I think people need encouragement. So let me talk about this. Again, this is practical, and I just there's, there's pitfalls to this for to encouraging people. This is, the, this is what I call the examination or critique pitfall. So we're constantly analyzing people. If we're constantly analyzing and critiquing people, we miss their beauty. Seriously, are you loving your neighbor well? This is encouragement is a humongous piece of this. So there's a trap in Orthodox Christianity and Bible, Bible teaching churches. There's a trap. Listen to me. There's a trap in churches that teach the Bible, and it's this. The trap is that the pitfall is that we have this propensity to stand over culture and lord over it from the ivory tower and critique it as though we're not a part of it. We, we, Christians in particular have this propensity to critique or tear down others, to guard against sin and to make ourselves more self-righteous. So we stand in the ivory tower and we look down upon the world as though we have arrived to give them truth. And I just want to be honest with you this morning. I think it's vile and I think it's repugnant. And I think that no one in this room, we're all, we're all live on the brink of living this out, this critique, evaluation syndrome. And we miss the beauty of people. They're made in the image of, of God, too. So love a neighbor. Go love someone. So that's the general critique. So inside the church, that's really a trap inside the church. There's a trap inside the church to tower over and look at the people outside of these walls like they're our enemy. There's a propensity to do that in all of us. And so they're a beautiful depiction, too. So go love somebody. They're made in the image of God. Go love on somebody inside the church. Listen. Inside the walls of this church, encourage somebody. I'm an encourager by nature. It's just how God wired me. And this is challenging. Some of you haven't given a compliment to people in your life. And that's, okay. that's kind of how you're wired. But listen, like, just encourage somebody. I don't, I don't have a ton of patience for naysayers. It, listen, I, this, is, this, is, this is super practical. If you're over 55 years old, listen to me. The world that we live in, something changed in this world 10 years ago. In the world that we live in, it is very, very challenging in the marketplace and in the culture at large if you're my age to live out the Christian faith. It's challenging, okay? And that's not a pity party. I've stood and looked at pictures of of 18-year-olds storming the beaches of Normandy, and I know that I'm not worthy to even stand in the same room as these men. But listen to me. If you're over 55 or 60 in this room, go find someone younger than you and encourage them. Encourage them. If you're, if this, is, this is free advice to you as well. So if you're under 45 or 50, listen to me. I, this is, I, I'm just trying to give you examples of how to encourage people. If you're under 45 or 50, listen. Find somebody with gray hair and go to them. Spend time with them. Love them. Ask them about it. Go to somebody with wounds. Every juncture in my life that's been critical, I sit down with the generals. I sit down with men and women. I have them in my life that have gray hair and they've got, they've got some wounds. They've been through some stuff. So go honor them. Go love on them. Go spend some time with them. Get them a coffee. They've been through a lot and they deserve it. 
And so just, just in general, there's an idea of encouragement. So I'm just, again, I'm trying to give you practical things. But where do we get this from? What is the idea of encouragement? Why am I so passionate about this in the church, to how you love your neighbor? The book of Hebrews that you've been in for a while, the book of Hebrews that you've been in with Greg for a while, Hebrews chapter 10 is one of the passages that Greg will probably deal with in the coming weeks. But encouragement, I believe that there's something more fundamental that undergirds encouragement. Hebrews chapter 10. In chapter 10 and verse 19, it's talking about Jesus, the high priest. It's a warning passage. How do we know that we have assurance in the faith? And then he gets down a little bit further in this passage, and he says in verse 24, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, he's trying to teach the readers of this letter how to have assurance in their faith. And he's talking about the body of Christ here. Listen to this. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 24, he says, Let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works. Consider how to love and st- love each other and stir each other to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together. That's why we come here and gather together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. In the body of Christ, encouraging one another, all the more as you save the day, drawing near. So fundamentally, I believe there's something more, there's something deeper to, to encouragement in the Bible, and it's the idea of humility. So when I talk about humility, I'm not talking about you know, not talking about your 401k or talking about how good you look. There's a sense of humility in that. There's a deeper sense of humility in the Bible. Lock in with me here. There's a deeper sense of humility in the Bible. You remember last week we talked about that, or and I mentioned it again today, that the pinnacle of all creation is mankind. It's the best God had in creation was mankind. Sin enters that creation and it mars it. It mars that creation. So there's this Latin phrase that says the creation, the, that sin is the corruption of the best. So the corruption of the best is the worst. The corruption of the best is the worst. And hear me when I say this. There has not been one day in my life, not one, that I have not corrupted the image of God. Not one. So humility, humility, it drives encouragement because as you sit in front of another man or another woman in or outside the body of Christ, you realize that you're just as twisted twisted and as broken and as dead in your transgressions as they are. And it's not your good works or your good looks or whatever God's called you to do in this world that justifies you before Him. It's only Jesus and His righteousness. Humility, it drives encouragement because before we critique or we evaluate those on the outside of the church or those on the inside of the church, we have to remember that the only reason we avoid eternity apart from God is because of the unmerited, undeserved favor of Jesus Christ. God closed in on me when I didn't want anything to do with Him. He closed in on me when I didn't want Him. Humility, it drives encouragement. And encouragement is something that we desperately need in the current climate. Encouragement. The image of God should be utilized by all Christians in order to live out the Great Commission. The spaces that this mandate are executed, the functional piece of the image of God, the task that God creates for us, those spaces are the same spaces that non-believers share with Christians, and those are the spaces in which the Great Commission and your Christian witness blooms. It's where the grace of God shines. The places where the mandate or the task-related piece of the image of God 
is executed are the places of the greatest opportunity to flourish and live effectively for God's purposes. So don't withdraw. You can't withdraw from the world into holy huddles. We have to live and work and compete for the purposes of God's glory. How do we flourish in the midst of a fallen society? How do we live lives attractive for God's glory in a broken society? We live out the image of God for the purposes of the Great Commission amongst a beautiful people for a beautiful purpose. How do we flourish in the midst of a broken society? We live out the image of God for purposes of the Great Commission amongst a beautiful people by means of a beautiful mandate. May the God of all grace carry us with humility as we live with dignity amongst a beautiful people, both inside and outside the church, by means of a beautiful mandate. Amen and amen. Let's pray. Eternal Father, we we approach the throne of your glory with humility because we stand in the righteousness of another. We stand in our Savior, Jesus Christ, who came and lived a perfect life and bled and died on a cross so that we might approach you as people after your own image, as people called to a task based upon your goodness and your uniqueness in this world. So I thank you for that. Not one of us is worthy of this high calling. So give us the strength, God. Give us the strength and the urgency. Give us, build an urgency in us, Father God, to live out a mandate, to live out a beautiful depiction and a beautiful mandate amongst a world of beautiful people that long, dear Lord, that long for more. I thank you for this body of Christ, and I thank you for this time together. So be with us now. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've got questions about...